Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. This is our fourth and final episode in a terrific series we've been running with Logitech. So if you miss the earlier episodes, we will throw a link in the show notes and you can get all caught up. We've talked firmware and software, developer productivity and flow state. We are really excited for today's episode. We're going to be focusing a bunch on some topics that are near and dear to our heart here at the show that we chat a lot about just when it's the home team. Can software innovation actually help us optimize our time? And we'd love to look at that from the perspective of software developers, but obviously any technologist or worker or even professional gamer, dare I say it. <laughs> I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow, and I'm joined as I often am by my wonderful collaborator and keyboard warrior, Cassidy Williams. Hi, Hello, Cassidy. Oh, I'm excited to be here. I know. After these Logitech podcasts, I know you're sending out some hot LinkedIn requests, <laughs> building like, out your hey. serious keyboard network, right? Let's go. Let's collab. <laughs> so without further ado, I would like to welcome Paolo and Julio from Logitech to the Stack Overflow podcast. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. Um, so Julio, you already on once, so we'll let Paolo go first. Paolo, when people come on the podcast, you know, our listeners want to understand who they're hearing from. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into the world of software and technology and, and what brought you to the role you're at today? Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. Very, very nice to be here. I'm Paolo Passeri. So I'm the head of software product management for our CNP group, which uh, encompasses mice, keyboards, presenters. And uh, I've been at Logitech for about seven years now. I mean, I got into technology pretty young, like when I was, you know, got a computer, I was probably 11 or 12. And then I loved it so much. I joined computer engineering. So I graduated as a computer engineer. And then I started working on products as kind of my second job. And then I landed at Logitech in 2015 after moving here to the US. And it's been a great journey working as a software person in you know, mostly what is known as a hardware company is a very interesting uh, position to be in, but it's uh, super rewarding and, and amazing. So, And Julio, for folks who don't remember, just a quick refresher, what is your role at Logitech and, and what do you focus on? Sure. So if you haven't listened to episode two, where we geeked about keyboards with Cassidy, I'm a lead UX designer and I lead user experience for our MX series. So it's the kind of high-end portfolio of the Logitech productivity and creativity group. So we talked about our latest edition, DMX Mechanical. I worked on this whole series. So I do hardware and software user experience. So at a high level today, what we're hoping to chat about, you know, as I mentioned up front, is can software innovation actually help us optimize our time? A lot of software, at least in my life, feels like it's trying to take as much of my time and focus as yeah. possible or it's competing for it. But I would love to hear from the two of you, the technologies you're working on, you know, the things that you're focused on, computers and human interaction, how do you go about calculating, you know, whether or not you're helping someone save time versus taking it? And, and how are you approaching that through both the lens of software and design? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. I think for us, it's really what you said, right, Ben, it's how do we ensure that the things that we are doing and, and you know, the software that we're developing, the experiences that we want our users to have is actually enhancing their lives and, and saving them time rather than the opposite, right? I think you've kind of alluded to this idea that a lot of times when we start introducing new technologies or any company, right, it seems to take a little bit more away than it gives. Uh, <laughs> and it's something you always have to be careful about. I know for me, 
the smart home, for example, this dream of the smart home is something super interesting where you set up your whole house and you outfit it. And all of a sudden, the first time it something doesn't work, you spent like, you know, probably a day fixing it. So it's a very interesting problem, right? Especially in my case, when I get the support calls here in my house, it is like, hey, the light is not turning on, come down, you know? And I think it's something super kind of important, right, for us to to think about when we do these things of, you know, how do we think about the setup process? How do we think about you know, obviously there's always issues, you know, inherently when you develop software and when you try to take away complexity from users, you inherently absorb that complexity to yourself, yeah. right? Or to your software, to whatever solution you want to give. And so, you know, we have to be careful about that because otherwise if it starts breaking too much, then it's a pain. It's <laughs> a funny thing you're mentioning the example of uh, the smart home thing. <laughs> I'm single right now. And I, I really, I really understood that actually smart home stuff just work for single geeks. Like if, <laughs> yeah. if there's more than one person in the house and they mm-hmm. don't want stuff to work the same way as you want to, it's just a mess. <laughs> so the example of things not working is one thing, but then things working for multiple people, that's adding complexity. The more people yeah, you so. add, the more difficult mm-hmm. it gets. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Humans are always messing things up. Cassidy, for you, what would you say is like the push and pull between hey, I actually configured this new keyboard or added these macros and saving me time versus, oh man, I went down another wormhole of building another keyboard or like figuring out how I can customize this one and I've ended up wasted. Like, you know, you're covering your face. <laughs> I am much more on the ladder. I cannot emphasize enough how many keyboards are around my feet right now because I'm like midway through building so many keyboards. But at this point, it's mm-hmm. I think it started as a productivity tool for me. And now it's just a fun tool that happens to help me be productive. But I do right. think that there are so many tools out there, both hardware and software that are so good at saving time amongst all of the things that want to claim more of your time and own your time as much as possible that mm-hmm. I think there's a healthy balance of all of those. And I like that they exist. I think what you said, Cassidy, is really interesting in terms of, you know, your passion towards these, this endeavor, yeah. let's say. And I think there's, you know, that's also the difference, right? There's, there's many users in our case or, or customers that, you know, they like that. They get a joy out of building it and then tweaking with it and fiddling with things, right? And I think that's something that, you know, if I look at our kind of history as Logitech, and I think, you know, even computer history, right? It started with those sorts of people, right? Like with people that really like to tweak, like developers, probably like many listening now. And I think that as technology progresses, as many other things, it starts getting, you know, the idea is the hope is that it gets simpler and simpler and simpler. And that those issues that we were talking about before, you know, start getting uh, smaller so that it widens the number of people that can use it, right? But I I still think that you know, this balance between how much do we give to that core audience that really loves and has passion behind the kind of behind the kitchen, if you will, and the users that are kind of in the front just waiting to be served in a way. It's kind of an mm-hmm. interesting balance. And I think, again, for us at Logitech, it's we started with that, right? Like just giving tools for people to customize at will, right? Like we were giving you all these things and you can customize. And now a lot of what we're thinking about is, you know, that I talked to the team as well here is how do we move away from kind of like this customization and more towards experiences? And there's kind of some examples that that we can talk about later. But I think that's really interesting, too. It's really kind of trying to cater to the user's desires and, and the different needs they have. With all the research we did, like on developers and, you know, constantly talking to our target audiences and you really have a group of people that are making sort of an art of optimizing and like especially in with devs like 
they will spend their time looking for new ways of optimizing stuff they haven't optimized yet, right? And that's really fun. It's like you, Cassidy, building 25 different keyboards, right? It's <laughs> like a passion of, of optimizing, which I, I found fascinating. And I, I think we can we can help those folks. Yeah, it's it's like that joke where it's it's saying like, hey, will you pass the salt to a developer? But then instead of passing the salt, they optimize a process for passing any type of condiment or, or <laughs> topping to, to you. Uh, like the optimization is very right. fun. And I think it's very easy to get caught in the trap of like over-optimizing everything. But at the same time, if you have a good time doing it, then great, keep going. Yeah, I'm watching endless how I organize my desk videos on YouTube instead of, you know, organizing yeah. my desk. Because they're really addictive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Like, And then you get a sense that you already know. So like, yeah, I don't have to do it. Like I, if I had to, I, I know yeah, how to do it. Exactly. <laughs> so Paolo, Julio, can you give us some of your favorite examples, either from, you know, out in the world, you know, other industries that used computer science or, you know, sort of user-centric design, maybe to make some of these efficiencies? And then, you know, after talking about it on the abstract, I'd love to dive in. What are your favorite, you know, examples from some of the projects you've worked on internally that you felt like, kind of to your point, instead of making it just endlessly customizable, let's try to make a decision that users will find as they repeat it, you know, to be kind of really beneficial to either their work, their flow, their life. It's a good one. I can talk about processes and the way we've sort of evolved with UX tools. I just know that some of my colleagues, they were building UI in Photoshop or in Illustrator, right? Mm. With fixed components and you would have to go and edit them manually and just redo all your screens every time. Slice a PSD file or something. <laughs> yeah, right. And then and then tools like Sketch arrived and suddenly we had interactive components and they were like connected to each other. And then, you know, Figma kind of brought us to the next step with collaboration in, embedded in this. And, and now you can build an entire system. If you want to change a little piece of the system, it's going to you know, replicate all over, right? And that's, for me, one of those kind of biggest innovations in terms of like just, just UX design, right? Where we have a system that is super optimized now and uh, can allow us to focus on the, on the good stuff and not on the on the annoying parts, right, of needing to change the screens manually, right? If you haven't, if you haven't sort of a good and interactive system. So that's just one example within my daily work. Yeah, that's a really good one. And I think for me, like, one interesting one that I kind of talk about, you know, to, to some folks here is like, I'm in calls a lot, right? Like many of you guys probably, you know, like here we're doing this virtually, of course, and just being in, in calls every day, you know, finding ways that you can optimize that experience always helps. And, you know, we've always had like in our software, for example, to customize devices, a way for users to change, you know, and add a keystroke, right, to mm -hmm. a mouse button, for example. And so if you know what the mute keystroke shortcut for uh, Zoom, for example, is, you could have always done it, right? Since like, I don't know, going back 10 years. But mo again, going back to this idea of different users, most people don't know how to do that, right? Like they, they wouldn't ever realize what is the Zoom shortcut for mute. And so when we brought that forward, right, when we kind of made that as part of the onboarding experience for a device saying, hey, we noticed you have Zoom and do you would like to have this experience? We started seeing a lot of people using it, right? Because they're in calls, then you don't have to go and click the mute button, like if you're in the middle. And since you have your hand on the mouse all the time, you just click the mute button and then you stop talking and mute yourself, right? And then you can open it. And like I use it personally, I use that all the time. And since I'm kind of testing different apps and different uh, builds that we have, sometimes that's broken, for example. And I notice it right away. And I'm like, what? what's going on? I'm not muting myself anymore. I'm unmuting myself. 
And it's, again, it's one of those very simple examples of an experience that people do over and over and over and over, right? And I don't know, like I've never measured how much time that is saving, right? But I can tell for one and from listening to users that the experience is really beneficial. And once you don't have it, then you miss it, you know? So I think those are the best ones is like the things that gets you get so used to that once they break or they're not working, you miss them, so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's funny, you were talking about what it's like when you have to context shift from one to another and the tools aren't right. My greatest nightmare assignment was when I worked at Condé Nast before they had really digitized and they would make everything on paper first and then send me a PDF, which I then had to transcribe by hand into the CMS. And I just thought there's got to be a better oh, way, y'all. No. Like there has to be a better way. <laughs> exactly. I, I had a I had a similar one, if I may add. Like my first job out of out of school was at a big oil company at the time, right? It's still a huge company back in Brazil, where I'm from. And I used to work in IT at the access admin team. So we were giving access to people in folders, essentially, right? So you'd have to like all these chain of commands and asking for approvals and stuff. And we would send the same emails over and over like, hey, Ben, do you approve access to Julio for folder? Da, da, da. So we like writing that all the time, you know? And I was talking to some friends who were like, hey, why don't we just create a little tool that, you know, sitting on the taskbar and you can just copy the same text, kind of like a, you know, text expander script tool kind of. And then we build that. And then all of a sudden, everyone started closing their tickets like two hours ahead of time because now they don't have to keep typing things over Mm. and over. And it was a very interesting use case within that group, right? And it's kind of very crude app, very simple thing. But it's interesting how, you know, like you said, when you digitize something or things that are repetitive, obviously the computers are pretty good at doing. It's interesting Mm -hmm. how you can save a lot of time. It reminds me, there's, there's this app that I use called Centered. It's so simple. It's a glorified to-do list. But when you like hit start and you're working on the to-do list, it has a timer for all of your tasks and you can have like a Chrome extension and various things that see the websites you're using where it says, hey, should you be on Reddit right now? And it does little pings to stop you from losing track or be just like, should you be messaging people on Discord? And just those little (laughs) tiny reminders and everything. It's so simple, but I am so focused. And and sometimes you just need those tiny little things that can optimize just a little bit and, and improve your productivity. So for both of you, yeah, I guess I'd be interested to hear a little bit about what you think the future will look like. You know, Paolo, I was reading some of your notes to me, talking about some of the AI image generation tools that have come on recently. And, you know, a lot of people raised the concern initially, which I thought was valid of, will this replace artists? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what about illustrators? Mm-hmm. Most of them to this point, you know, they're not that accurate. You can't just describe a scene and get exactly what you want. And so that's not really what they're used for. But I've noticed a lot of artists using them to your point. They generate seven or eight prompts. They set it and forget it. They come back later and they've got 14 different variations and they can pick one as an inspiration or pick one and upscale it. And somebody was doing character artwork. They spent a lot of time doing the character, but then they can just do the background. And if the backgrounds are a little blurry or a little abstract, it doesn't matter because they've saved all that time and instead focused on what they're really good at. Are there examples of this from either of you that you're excited about in your own personal workflow with your software and tools or, you know, to the software and tools you're working on for Logitech? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I think this one in particular is really interesting, right? It's, it's kind of like this arc of computing in a way where our technology, right, where a lot of things were physical, mechanical, and then you went to the digital. And now we're kind of really entering this, you know, AI smart era, right, which we're just kind of scratching the surface on. I mean, the interesting thing to me is like these tools, right? They're tools. That That's kind of the way I, I think I would see it. And yeah, there's always concern, 
right? I don't know if you guys can see on my background. I'm a huge like Star Wars geek and I love, I love it. it. And I was watching the new docuseries that came out for ILM, right? And they talked about how Industrial Light and Magic, you know, the, the company that did all the graphics for, for the Star Wars movies or for the initial Star Wars movies and now does a lot of things. And, you know, before it was all model, the model shop, right? Like they're creating physical things. And then when digital graphics and, and animation and, you know, effects came along, there was also that fear, right? And But a lot of artists kind of just made the jump, right? They saw it as a new tool and they made the jump. And it's similar kind of how now we're kind of at that point again, right? Of, you know, I think it, it is concerning and there are, you know, cons- valid concerns to be sure. But I think that it's interesting if you see it as a tool and you adapt, like it just it doesn't happen from one day to the next, right? Like I think we as humans have time to adapt. And uh, yeah, that one to me is particularly super interesting, right? I've watched so many videos about that, <laughs> seeing how, like you said, that how people are using it in various different ways. And it's kind of exciting. Yeah, to, to Paulo's point, I think for me, this is just a new media. It's just a new type of canvas. I'm not too afraid <laughs> to be replaced by <laughs> by one of those, or maybe I should. <laughs> but uh, it really it really comes down to uh, to what we do with these things, right? And I think that's why we have a certain responsibility when we build these tools and and put them out there. But I think it's awesome. I think it's very fun. I've played with that tech for a while, and now just just recently with. Dali 2 and even Dali Mini on your phone, you can generate stuff. Mid-journey and all of that. It's pretty impressive, right? But I imagine that this can go two ways. Like, one, we become even more creative and and kind of push ourselves even further. Or maybe the the more negative side is that we just don't know how to do things without it anymore. And and that's why I I sometimes like to kind of step back, you know, and always make this analogy with old cameras that only have 24 shots you know Mm. and you gotta stop think a few minutes kind of look around and see what's the best way to take that shot before taking it right and it's much harder than i would have thought actually and because i'm i'm so used to this idea of like being able to take unlimited pictures and deleting and going back and erasing and doing control z you know and which is great on one side, but on the other, it's like, oh, how do we manage to do without it? And uh, how do we manage to take the time to do things? I was a part of this research group a while back where I was not doing the research. I was being interviewed in this research where it was for people who play the board game Go. And you might know about like AlphaGo and, and how it basically defeated the game and some of the best players in the world. And the research was around, does it take away from the joy of playing a game knowing that a bot will probably always beat you at this rate in the rate of <laughs> AI. And the conclusions were really interesting talking about just this advancement of technology where back in the day, probably when they invented like cranes and gigantic construction machines, people were saying like, what am I going to do? I was the strong person lifting all of these big heavy rocks and everything. Now we have these machines doing it. Am I useful? But it helped us build bigger and better things. And I think it's weirder for us as humans because we really value our brains and our being able to think. But very similarly, these tools can help us build bigger and better things and be bigger and better in the creative space because some of the machines can do some of the heavy lifting that we normally would do, like the the toil type of work, the busy type of work that you have to do to get started, where if you can use these tools in the right way and in an ethical way, I think that it can really advance us 
as a society, this is probably very optimistic, who knows, but <laughs> ever since doing that research study, it made me think like, yeah, I can still enjoy the game Go, and if anything, I can use these bots to train myself better and think about moves in a different way and that sort of thing. It's important to be on the record saying AI is good in case they take over, like they won't come exactly. for you. Exactly. Exactly. We love you, AI. Yeah. yeah. But Julio, to your earlier point, you know, I think you were talking about like an old camera, the idea of artificial constraints sometimes being really inspiring for productivity or forcing you to rethink things or pallet to your point, like, you know, maybe for you now it's as important to have a focus on less customization, but with all that user great research and testing up front so that if somebody is finding true utility day after day, and that's actually allowing them to get in the flow state and, and get more work done or get to that creative point. You know, like sometimes having too many options, that bevy of options that you are always trying to figure out, that, you know, becomes a distraction instead of, you know, an aid to your productivity. Oh, no. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think then you mentioned this, this kind of state of flow. And I think that's, that's really interesting. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what we talk about here, especially honestly with our MX team, with Julio and the rest of the team, it's, it's this idea of when you're in that zone, right. And I think we've all, you know, been through it. Maybe we go through it multiple times a day, hopefully. And, and it's just so like, it's a bliss, right? Like you really enjoy. And I think again, back to kind of what we started talking about, we need to make sure that what we are delivering, like the technology, we as a, as, a, as a society, I guess, or as an industry, what we are delivering is not taking people away from that, maybe keeping them on that state, right? And then there's another question, which is how do we get people there, which is pretty tricky, right? Like everyone has their own different way. Like for me, you know, I put some infected mushroom on and I listen <laughs> to that and I kind of get into that zone. I mean, it's like depending on what you're listening, you know, and the kind of the music you like, at least for me. And so it really varies. Right. And I think that's pretty interesting on how to, how to keep that state. Right. Sorry. Now I'm just really happy. I've, I've never heard that name before, but infected mushroom. That's a great name for me. I'll have to check that out. I thought you were saying you take, yeah. in fact, I thought you were saying like you, you like eat an infected mushroom. Yeah. I, that's what I thought at first. And I was like, oh wait, this is music. <laughs> Like, no, yeah, this is music, an honest please. podcast. Yes. Wow. <laughs> no, it's just music. <laughs> so yeah, let me ask one more question. And then Cassie, I'll pass the mic to you for one more question. You know, just before we sign off, we'd love to hear a little bit about like, yeah, what's on your roadmap? What are you excited to be working on over the next year or two? You know, obviously, you don't have to like tease a product that's coming out. But for folks who are listening, who are just software developers or big keyboard fans or already own an MX, like what can they look forward to, even if you're just talking about it sort of in the abstract? One of the things we've, we've touched on this idea of customization to more, you know, ready-made experiences, if we will, if you will. That's mm. something that we're looking at a lot. And I think some of you mentioned the word macros, right? So that's something that we're thinking a lot about too, is like macros in the sense of how do you have some, you know, inputs and then processes and then outputs, right? Like remembering my, my control classes now. So thinking about that, it's something that we're thinking a lot about and, and how do we enable that for all the users, both those users that really like to customize and create their own thing, but then also, how do we then take that knowledge, you know, from, from that group that is, is creating along with us these solutions and how do we then expand that across, right? And how do we then in the future allow also for cross-pollination, customization and in sharing, for example. So those are things that we're looking at in the future to, to bring. And there's other things around also like staying in the flow, you know, as you're using different applications, how do you, you know, with the devices, the input devices that we have, how can you, you know, very quickly do a task and take care of something? So like, for example, we launched a while back device, a device called Craft that, it, you know, if you're in Photoshop, you can, you know, change the brush size pretty oh, cool. quickly, right? Mm -hmm. By turning a dial. 
and, and selecting different tools and changing values. And so that's, you know, very interesting. And how do we continue that journey? Yeah, that's really interesting. I read an article the other day that was saying the vast majority of people who have modern cars actually prefer like physical buttons to touchscreen ones. And that's such a good example. You're working in like a digital art medium, but maybe like the best thing is actually, you know, like a click wheel, you know, that that's actually the thing that's going to like force you to shift the lease or allow you to focus in, with, in one way and like use your hand in another. So it's cool to see hardware doing that. And generally when we do, when we do research and, and talk to users, like they they always appreciate us for the tactility of the experiences, mm -hmm. you know, we create and we're putting a lot of thought into that. And and I think what's make it magic is when it starts to be connected with the, the software side of things, right? Creating that bridge. So yeah, these are, this is kind of at the center of what we're doing. Sometimes, you know, like, you know, we imagine the future and it's like, it's going to be super, super techie or super advanced, but, there are so many small things, you know, small, simple things. I think, you know, Paolo, you touched on the mute, unmute button on the keyboard. And I think it's just a little simple thing that helped so many people. And I think that's also why we, you know, people like our products is that we can create simple and impactful experiences that are the right for the user in that moment of life, right? That's really like how we think about stuff too. Do you see yourselves ever getting into wearables? That's a juicy one. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what you mean by wearables, because we have a few products like the Ultimate Ears line, where we have these earbuds. I consider those as That's wearables. True. I don't know yeah, if you do, but... I guess I didn't, but it makes sense to consider them as wearables. Are you talking about like a keyboard you can wear on your body? Or like, like a little uh, fancy gloves <laughs> or a watch or I don't know. Right, like the power yeah. glove from Nintendo. I think, uh, I think our CEO made a... April's full video with a keyboard tie, a tie That's that was really funny. Made of a key yeah, you should find it on YouTube or somewhere. Just try to look it up. The thing that I've been <laughs> wanting to get into, I don't know if any of you have seen this, is the little patches that have like a Bluetooth connected to your phone and they measure your like blood sugar and metabolic health. I think those are super cool. And I've been seeing them sort of grow over the last two or three years to a point where it seems like you can actually learn a lot. And, you know, working from home, remote work, some of the, some of the hardest parts is like getting through that midday slump or like, why am I feeling tired now? Why do I feel anxious now? So that's one wearable I'm kind of excited about. Cause I think figuring out how, what you eat and drink affects how you feel technology maybe could help us out there. It's interesting. We, we do see the worker as almost like an athlete, right? Like Ben, what, what you were saying. Mm. And, and I think in a way it's exactly what you said is like, how do you ensure that you are keeping yourself also physically in a way, or if your environment around you is giving you the right cues, right? I, for right. one, like we have a, a product that we launched recently. I mean, it's focused on streaming called Light or Glow. So these lights, you know, the, this kind of streaming lights. And I don't stream, but I do turn them on every morning because I've learned that, you know, in the morning, again, if you, if you put a lot of light in front of you, your brain kind of kicks in more quickly and you start kind of be more productive. Oh, yeah. And, and so even if I'm not on a call, I turn them on and it's just like those things blasting on my face and it really helps. And then at the end of the day, I tone down, you know, the brightness, I tone down, mm -hmm. you know, make it a little bit more yellow. So I'm kind of starting to relax. So I think those are pretty interesting things. And again, going back to kind of the software and what we can do, I think there's a lot there that we can do too, because, you know, not everyone's going to read these articles or research or, you know, again, it's that whole idea of how do you take that knowledge that's there and people that kind of really go deep and, and develop that and how do you kind of simplify it and make it into an experience that a lot of other people can enjoy. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's getting to be the end of summer here. I got to break out the old sad lamp soon, make sure I'm getting <laughs> enough uh, vitamin D. I love the idea yeah. you're saying of like, maybe I can combine my like streamer lights with my sad lamp and you know, everything from the light lighted up keyboard. To, exactly. Like it's like, I've got a whole diurnal cycle going with whatever my Twitch stream is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm also, I'm, I'm at the Pacific Northwest in Kirkland. So oh, yes, I get that. You know, I used too. to live in Seattle. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I want to shout out a community member who was awarded a lifeboat badge. They came on Stack Overflow and found a question with a negative score. They gave it a great answer. Now that question has a positive score and their answer has a score of 20 or more. So thank you to Newt Knutsen. How can I specify a one argument constructor using Lombok? Newt has the answer for you. So if you're curious, it will be in the show notes. Helped over 58,000 people over the last year and a half. So we appreciate you. All right, everybody. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things. So I'm Paolo Passeri, and thank you so much. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Paolo Passeri, or, and then obviously all of our products, everything Logitech's at Logitech.com. Hey, so I'm Julio Berezi. PGOX at Logitech. You can follow me on LinkedIn or check our products on logitech.com slash MX. All right. Thanks to both of you for coming on and thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.